Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin and I'm on the phone with Brian, and this week we're talking about the 2014 film Annabelle, directed by John R. Leonetti, written by Gary Doberman, and starring Annabelle Wallace, Ward Horton, and Alfrey Woodard. In this film, a possessed doll terrorizes a young couple who are seeking a fresh start after some traumatic events. If you are new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion for the first 10 to 15 minutes, then we'll take a quick break, you'll hear some music, and then we'll come back, we'll hit the plots, review the film, and get into spoilers. So this film is part of the Conjuring universe, and is the only franchise that is within the universe that we have yet to cover on this podcast. So I'm excited for us to be going down the path here. Brian, had you seen this film before? Yes, I had seen it before, but it had been quite a while. Okay. And uh, have you seen the other two as well? I just watched Creation like within the past week or two, uh, but I haven't, haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of these, so uh, it's been on my list for a while. Uh, pretty excited to, to, to take a crack at it. Uh, so this one, it came out after the first Conjuring film, which was 2013, and is a prequel to that film. And I want to say, like, yeah, I, I haven't seen any of these films, but the beginning of this film is from the Conjuring movie, right? They basically have the same beginning, yeah. It's these nurses talking to Ed and Lorraine Warren about their experience with this doll named Annabelle. And yeah. Same beginning as The Conjuring. Okay, okay. So it doesn't really add anything there. That That is like the, the same scene we see here. I don't think so. I didn't go back and rewatch that scene from The Conjuring, but I'm pretty sure it's just straight lifted. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, how do you feel? I mean, uh, the big doll movies over the decades have been Child's Play. We had Megan uh, in the last year or two. Uh, and then like Annabelle. Like, I feel like these are like the big three doll films. Any other ones you'd mention? Yeah, that kind of is true, especially as of late. Um, I think Annabelle's kind of interesting. I was thinking about it when watching these two movies. She never really, I don't think this is a spoiler, she never really moves. Mm-hmm. Like, it's different than Chucky and Megan. So, yeah, uh, kind of unique there. I mean, it's still, she is the source of fear largely, but not entirely. Yeah, that was one thing that surprised me watching this film is like I was totally expecting a, a moving Raggedy Ann doll, but uh, I, I think for for better they didn't give us that because uh, sometimes when the doll moves, I, I, I think we see that with Child's Play where you have a doll that's very active and like talking. Uh, what's he? What's he? What's that word from the '90s when someone talks? Uh, uh, what's that? It starts with an S. <laughs> Oh, smack. <laughs> Someone's Oh, smack. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, what is he on? Yeah. yeah, he does talk a lot of smack. Yeah, unfortunately, Annabelle doesn't talk too much smack. She doesn't talk at all. She barely even moves. Yeah. So it's a slightly different approach compared to, to those two films, which, which is uh, cool and, and, and worth, worthwhile here. Um, it, it is based on a true story of a doll that the Warrens did come across in their work as paranormal investigators. Um, which Quote, I, unquote, true. Oh, yeah, right. You don't you don't believe it? No, I don't. I don't believe anything that Ed and Lorraine Warren say. So in your mind, they all these stories and like the whole Conjuring universe that's based on the stories that Ed and Lorraine experienced, you think those are all things they just made up? Yeah. For profit? <laughs> uh, I don't know why. I, I would say partially for profit. Not to smear anybody here, but pretty much nobody 
can prove anything of what they say. And I, I'm not the first person to be like, these people are just straight up fraudulent. Yeah, I just assume people who say that are like too scared to like admit the alternative that it might be true. But yeah, but I mean, there's no evidence to support anything that they say for the most part, unless it's somebody who also seems to stand to get a book deal or something like that. Basically, Ed's whole story about this doll is what you see in that opening. Like, yeah, some nurses who lived together said it was doing weird shit. So he locked it in his house and you know, tries to charge people to see it. Yeah, and so it, there is a museum out there where this doll lives, and it is blessed every day twice by a priest. So. Twice a week. Oh, Let's not go overboard. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to be that priest. That's a fun job. Uh, so, I believe, yeah, if they're paying me shit ton of money to go over there twice yeah. a week, I don't think Need that museum crackers. is open anymore. But. Oh, no kidding. I thought it would be a fun yeah. field trip for us to go on. Uh, yeah, and I would just <laughs> lay into Ed Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been some shit about that couple uh, coming out. Uh, I was just reading an article that, like, apparently uh, something between him and a younger woman that went on for, like, years. Uh, right. Kind of affair and stuff. So, yeah, uh, not a great legacy, kind of controversial, but they must have made a shit ton of money on this universe. Yeah, I gotta wonder what that... I mean, isn't that just... If they did make a shit ton of money, isn't that kind of sad that, like, if they did truly make this shit up just to make money and it totally worked, they mm-hmm. made a shit ton of money? I hope they didn't make that much money off of this, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised. You think it's, uh, like, taking advantage of people uh, by, like, selling the story as true? Hmm. You know, that's a good point. I mean, you could make the counter argument, like, eh, who does it harm? Yeah. I mean, but, man, what a cheap way to, to go about your living. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I got some respect for it. I mean, this is what writers do. They come up with, like, stories that they know people will get into, and then they, they sell those and, and make a bunch of money. So they could just be really great storytellers who've, like, found uh, an audience and, and are, yeah, I mean, people came out for it and watched it. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, but I, I hear you. There's, like, a, a manipulative angle here. Uh, with the museum and everything. Did uh, you notice that at the Saturn Awards, this was nominated for Best Horror Film, and at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it was nominated for Worst Horror Film? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty divisive. Uh, even, yeah, so uh, the ratings on this film are pretty poor. I, I can't tell. I, I guess it's pretty uh, broadly regarded as a bad movie, like the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, or- I don't even know if it's divisive. Oh, you just think people don't like it? I think so. Yeah, I mean, 29% Rotten Tomatoes, 35% audience score, but made a bunch of money, and as you mentioned, it was nominated in some areas for, like, the best horror film for the year. Yeah, yeah, the Saturn Awards, which I don't know too much about, only that they exist, and the movies we discuss are often nominees for different Saturn Awards, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It did make a lot of money. I never know how much a movie's box office is tied to whether or not people actually think it's good mm-hmm. or did they like The Conjuring, the advertising campaign worked, so they went and showed up and sat down in the seats. Yeah, right. That's It's hard to tell. I mean, uh, I feel like we talked about this with uh, Five Nights at Freddy's too where you've got low critic reviews but then huge box office payout because you have a brand that people want to come out or a franchise that people want to come out and see. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you said the numbers, but 6.5 million budget in a box office of 257.6, which is one of the highest domestic grosses for a horror film of all time. I think it's like in the top 20. Right. Huge. Huge return. Crazy how profitable this franchise is, man. Yeah, it is very profitable. But surprisingly, this is, I think, towards the bottom of the list of like uh, box office of uh, within the Conjuring universe. Like, I think it came in under all the other Conjuring movies, and even the Nun outperformed uh, all the Annabelle movies, uh, both Nun in uh, Part One and Two. So, yeah, huge success. But it just speaks to the greater success that I think the entire universe has had. Yeah, and maybe that top twenty stat was at the time of its release. Oh yeah, yeah sure. No, yeah, it was a huge, huge success, and I think it's a formula that works. As we talked about, they're going for like the country came out. It's a franchise and a film people liked. They are trying to create another relatively low budget film and repeat the financial success. And uh, the country universe has been able to do that repeatedly. Are there any? What is there? You gonna say something? Nope. Oh, <laughs> just e- just eager and excited to hear what you have to say. Frank. Oh, are there are there any other uh, horror universes that you're aware of? Because uh, I, I feel like the Conjuring is the only one out there, unless you could include like uh, was it like uh, the the monsters? Yeah, the Universal Monsters had one has like a shared universe kind of. Then they tried to do it again with like the Dark Universe uh, in the 2010s, but I don't think that ever came to anything. But that's the funny thing, man. I mean, this is like horror's equivalent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe right. in more ways than one. Like, Not only is everything connected, but you could rip on the Conjuring Universe the same way you can rip on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're just bombarding you with these movies that are all based on the same IP, and they're pretty vanilla and formulaic, but people are going to like them and pay a bunch of money to see them. None of them are going to be fantastic films, but they'll all be entertaining in the ways you expect them to be entertaining. Yeah, and they're gonna and and, and people love that they eat it up. Uh, it, it's interesting from a timeline perspective too, because I, I feel like Marvel and this these universes have been going along at the same pace almost, starting in like the two. Well, I guess this one started in twenty thirteen. It's only been going for like ten years, whereas Marvel probably two thousands. But even Marvel's like slowing down now. It seems and. Do you think like the Conjuring universe is also running out of gas? I think it is running out of gas. It kind of has to be. Um, it's so funny. It's a universe, but it's it's like three franchises. It's the Conjuring title franchise, and then it's the Annabelle franchise trilogy, and then the Nuns two films. Right. And then the Redheaded Stepchild. <laughs> the, curse. the Curse of La Llorona, which they've yeah. said is not a part of the universe, even though... The dude who plays the priest in this, Tony Amendola, plays Father Perez in Annabelle. He also plays Father Perez in The Curse of La Llorona, the exact same character. To tell me that's not in the same cinematic universe is I think that counts as universe, yeah. A load of baloney. (laughs) I know. I wonder why they backed off on that one, including that year. (laughs) Yeah, right? Such a weird thing to do. Yeah, that is really weird. Uh, but why do you think no other universes have popped up? Like, why is it just The Conjuring running and, like, owning that game good question man i i think because why make the whole universe when you can just make sequels and prequels like a saw or something like how they yeah Yeah. i guess there are some films with spin-offs but yeah i don't know i think to go so hard on it 
is maybe a risk too. They've got to be really successful movies. Yeah. Yeah, and like, in a way, there are some that are kind of like that. I mean, you've got It and It Chapter 2, and then I think there's a series coming out soon, like Welcome to Dairy mm. or something like that. Okay. So I, I feel like there's one-off stuff like that where, hey, there's also a TV show. But yeah. yeah, this is unique in that it's this whole universe. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's interesting that like this is the only one in horror, really. Uh what about Freddy and Jason? Like, I know uh, those two came together in, like, late 90s, 2000s, and then there's, like, a crossover film where they fight each other. Or, like, Alien versus Predator. Like, you wouldn't consider those universes because each of those characters have their own films, but they also come together. Yeah, those aren't really deliberately intended from the get-go to all exist in the same universe. It was just an opportunity to cash in on a crossover. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I wonder uh, now with like Marvel kind of dying, this kind of slowing down. Maybe audiences are past the idea of like universes or big franchises. Maybe there's a demand more for like original content, but who knows? I I would hope to think that people are getting a little tired of it. This is a point in our journey in the Conjuring universe where I'm starting to get some some fatigue. <laughs> really? This you've lasted this long without the fatigue? Yeah, I have. And then this movie, maybe it's more this movie in its own, just like hit me in a spot where I was just like, I think I've seen enough of these for a while. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. um, but yeah, that's my personal opinion. But tell you what, speaking of the Conjuring universe, obviously we're speaking of it because we're discussing Annabelle. Joseph Bashara has put that whole universe <laughs> on his back, man. Yeah. He plays... Score? Yeah, he oh, plays yeah. the demon in this movie and composes this. Oh, is he also the demon here? Yes, yeah. I didn't so he that. played. I mean, he's like carrying the Conjuring universe on his back, but basically like anything James Wan too. <laughs> he played the lipstick demon in the Insidious films. Yeah, he had roles as ghoulish or demonic villains in the Conjuring, the Conjuring Two. He scored the entire Insidious franchise. He scored all three Conjuring films. He scored The Curse of La Llorona, Annabelle Comes Home, Malignant, Aquaman. Like, Damn. He did Aquaman, dude's everything. Too? He's probably like mopping the floors at night when everybody goes yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. He like, uh, yeah, he'll do whatever. That, that's incredible. Uh, good good for him. I, 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 like, I generally like his scores. Uh, and his work as a demon is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I like his demon work. Yeah, yeah prop, props to Joseph Bashara. He's a, a, an unsung hero of this universe. Yeah, he really is, and not like a household name, so uh, good good for him. Um, speaking of those other films, like Insidious and uh, what was, I think maybe just Insidious, what was the other franchise you mentioned? Uh, let's see, what else? He did Insidious, he did The Conjuring, Malignant, Aquaman. Oh, Malignant, right, yeah. Those uh, films, I don't know, because like these are all kind of like uh, James Wan inspired uh, and started by. I, there's so much like crossover. I feel like yeah, you've got this universe and these films, but then like you've got uh, like similar actors, similar people behind the scenes in those films too. So those almost feel like an unofficial part of like the Conjuring universe to me. You feel that way? They do. I mean, James Wan's got such a specific vision on so much of his stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, Annabelle Wallace is in Malignant and right. Uh, Patrick Wilson is just like the most boring looking white guy you can imagine <laughs> until you meet Ward Horton who plays <laughs> John in this movie. I couldn't believe that guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's like the, the director was like speaking to the casting agent, like get me 
the most boring <laughs> vanilla ass looking motherfucker you can <laughs> like we've already used patrick wilson we need someone more yeah. yeah i know a guy named ward horton stop yeah. okay. his name is ward horton he's hired <laughs> yeah give me that guy <laughs> sounds okay. boring as shit yeah yeah all right so we're getting to some of the review i guess <laughs> but yeah, yeah peek peek behind the curtain already yeah yeah brian's kind of fatigued to the universe going into this and not too impressed with ward um, the director here, which uh, this is also interesting. I feel like the country universe only, uh, I, I know James Wan like did two of the films, uh, and then the guy who did Curse of La Llorona did that and then on two, but otherwise it's been all one off directors. And here we've got John R. Leonetti. His background coming into this is he was a cinematographer on Child's Play 3. I imagine that's why he was tapped here. Well, he was a cinematographer on, with, he worked with Juan already on Dead Silence. Oh. He shot Insidious, The Conjuring, Insidious Chapter 2. So oh. he already had a relationship with Juan. Okay. He had done cinematography in this universe. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. So he'd been working with Juan. He's also done uh, cinematography for, like, The Mask and Mortal Kombat. Um, that's interesting. So I think Insidious 3 also had someone who had worked with Juan uh, coming up and then... Dur- oh, no, that was Patrick Wilson. Never mind. Insidious 5, yeah. Oh, Insidious 5, yeah, right, right. Right, right, yeah. Uh, he had starred in many of Juan's films and then, yeah, got behind the... Yeah. Sat in the director's chair. It seems to happen here and there with uh, this crew. The yeah. writer, uh, he's actually written a lot of uh, big horror films. Like, he wrote 2017 and 2019's It. He did The Nun. He did all the Annabelle films. Uh, so, yeah, pretty uh, established horror f- film writer. Yeah, and he directed Annabelle Comes Home. He's written the upcoming Salem's Lot. He's a, He's got a pretty big impact on supernatural horror of the 2010s, man. Yeah, are you surprised to see his name tied to this? No, I'm not. Not at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is just, this, this is his brand. Okay, okay, yeah. And uh, casting-wise, uh, as you mentioned, Annabelle Wallace, who is did The Mummy from 2017, was also in Peaky Blinders, the TV show, or the, the series, and was also in Malignant, as you mentioned. Uh, were you familiar with her before Malignant? I feel like that was the first time I saw her. No, I wasn't. Yeah, that was the first time I saw her as well. Well, technically yeah. I had seen her in this, but I had kind of forgotten this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, not a huge uh, name. Uh, Ward Horton, uh, seems like he's just done a bunch of minor roles in, in a bunch of films. No, like, major roles. I think he's more of like a Broadway actor, potentially. Yeah, that could be true. I, yeah, I didn't really see anything that was familiar to me on his filmography. Yeah, I think I think the one of the more established actors, Alfred Woodard, she's been in a number of movies that go back to like the '90s and '80s, probably. Uh, she was in Love and Basketball, Twelve Years a Slave, Captain America: Civil War. So, pretty big filmography from her. Do you recognize her? Yeah, she's just got one of those faces where you're like, I know I've seen her in a bunch of stuff, even if I can't say exactly what she was in. Yeah. Right, just one of those faces. Long career. Yep, yep. Uh, what, any other background you want to mention? Let's see, what else is worth mentioning? Hey, Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger did the special makeup effects and demon design here. Oh, cool. That's awesome. I Have think they... this is the only time they worked in this universe, I believe. Yeah, that's crazy. Cool to Cinematography see was by James Neist, who has worked a bit with Flanagan. He shot Hush, four episodes of The Haunting of Bly Manor, and five episodes of The Midnight Club. And then the producers, Peter Saffron and James Wan, as usual, distributed by Warner Brothers. That's about all I got in terms of background info that I want to share. You got anything else? No, I think uh, that was everything I had. 
you got an Ohio connection for us? I've got an Ohio connection, which comes to us, as always, from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in Cleveland and you like good food and good drinks, stop on by Jukebox. And Alex says, Annabelle is a supernatural horror prequel to the 2013 film The Conjuring and the second installment in The Conjuring film series. The film focuses on the origins of the Annabelle doll and centers on a couple that begins to experience terrifying supernatural occurrences shortly after their home is invaded by satanic cultists. The film stars Annabelle Wallace, Ward Horton, and Alfre Woodard as Evelyn. Woodard is a prolific actor known for portraying strong-willed and dignified roles on stage and screen. She has received various accolades, including four Emmys, a Golden Globe Award, three Screen Actors Guild Awards, as well as nominations for an Academy Award, BAFTA Award, and two Grammy Awards. Woodard is also a board member of the Democratic Party and campaigned in 2008 for then-presidential candidate Barack Obama at a town hall event in New Philadelphia, Ohio. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Good yeah. For her. Nice. Great connection. Nice job, yeah, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Uh, great. You got anything else? That's it. All right. Well, then, let's talk about the plot, hit the spoilers, and get into a review. But before we do that, I think I just heard a knock at the door. Can I give you a call back? Sure, you always got to answer those. I know, right? All right, I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, I'm back. Sorry about that. What was up with that? Oh, that, you know, it was weird. No one was there, but I, I found some uh, random uh, kid drawings on, on the doorstep. So, uh, yeah, it was, was kind of creepy, though. The, the first one is really nice. It's a picture of you and I just sitting next to each other podcasting. Uh, and then in the second one, you're reading from this book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And then the third one, you're reading on that book, but I'm sitting on the table and taking a piss on you. So I'm, I'm not sure what it all means, but I uh, wonder, wonder if, if there's a... Predicting any kind of future events that are about to happen here. <laughs> you definitely drew those pictures. <laughs> I did, yeah. It was me. I just <laughs> left them for myself as a little present. I cannot believe the way children's drawings were shoehorned into this movie. But we will get to that. Continue. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, a lot of things are shoehorned into this movie. It's impressive. The movie I'm be- surprised there's not a literal shoehorn in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing it's missing. Uh, this movie begins with this caption about how dolls have been collected since the beginning of civilization and sometimes used for evil purposes. We then get a scene, as we mentioned at the top, that is from the Conjuring film, where these two roommates are talking to Ed and Lauren, uh, sorry, to Ed and Lorraine, about a doll that they had been gifted that they figured out is possessed by a woman named Annabelle. We get some creepy descriptions of what the doll has been doing, and uh, the this opening sequence ends with a close up on the doll. Uh, what do you think about this opening? Uh, well, I mean, it was the exact same as the opening to The Conjuring, so. As far from something special as you can get, I, I I don't have any giant complaints, but it's just very boring and dull. Uh, how about you? Yeah, same. I don't think we needed this. It felt pretty uh, unnecessary and, and boring and kind of forced in there. I don't know if they thought maybe people wouldn't realize that this is part of the universe, which, you know, given this whole conversation and the lack of universes in the horror area, 
I could see them like being like, hey, this is the first time someone's going to come into a horror film that's part of like another film. So let's make sure that they know what they're getting into. So I, I, I wonder if like, yeah, back then watching that would be like, oh, shit, I've seen this scene somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Right. And it's a different title. So, yeah, right. Right. But yeah, I agree. At, at this point, watching it like now is it's pretty useless. And, and the acting isn't that great either. No, and nor is the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. The one woman goes, we're nurses. We help people. <laughs> it's character development there. It's really good. So we then jump one year into the past, and we meet our main couple, Mia and John, who are this couple who are expecting a child. They're, our opening introduction to them is them at church having a thumb war. And then later, they're chatting up with their neighbors outside their home in like this suburb. Uh, about like baby names and how much John hates his grandmother or like how much, yeah, John wants to name the kid after the grandmother and Mia hates the grandmother. Dude, this is like the whitest scene. I, I'm like, is this what <laughs> people do on Sundays? Because this is what I always thought, but to see it like play out here, just like terrible. What, what, what'd you think of this? Yeah, it is. I remember in a recent episode you were talking about, I think you accused the Conjuring universe of being super white yeah. and I was like well I think there are some exceptions to that in the Annabelle franchise and there are but uh, it gets pretty problematic at the yeah, by the end of this movie which I'm sure we'll talk about yeah right yeah I mean, this feels totally like you know you think this is 2014 uh, and this is like supposed to be in the 70s I feel like there's like a lot of Mad Men influence going on here like try to hone in on that image of like uh Yes, seventies America, like the stylistically and the, the suburbs and the cars and things like that. The conversation, kind of. Yeah, I believe this was late sixties. Oh, late sixties. Okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. is that when Mad Men took place? Good question. I've never really watched much Mad Men, but I'm pretty sure that was before the seventies. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. So then, John uh, gives Mia a doll that she's been looking for for years. And it's a creepy looking doll, which surprised me because I thought, I always thought uh, the Sandoval doll like had been beat up or something and that's why it like looks so creepy. But out of the box, it looks like that, which is surprising. And then we also learned that there's some cult activity happening on in the vicinity. Um, I feel like there's a lot of exposition in this opening, like telling us he's doing his residency. They don't lock the door. The neighbors have a daughter who ran away. There are cults in the area. Did you feel like this all felt natural? Or did you feel like we're getting too much and it was felt a little forced? I think the, I didn't really feel like there was too much of an exposition dump here. My biggest beef was like, wow, these characters are dull. Like <laughs> everything that's happening here is boring. The performances are boring. Yeah. Then there's this random line when he gives her the doll where, and this is the most like off the wall thing in the entire movie, which is a, a very vanilla white 1960s type thing. <laughs> There's something I want to give you, he says to her. And she goes, the last time you said that, I ended up pregnant. <laughs> you like the line? <laughs> totally out of character for these two. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, these two are kind of annoying and boring and, like, yeah, plain. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of a funny line. Did, did you like it? I, yeah, I mean... I think it's funny because it's so out of place with the rest of the movie. I'm yeah, like, sure. did that get in there by mistake? <laughs> yeah, I th I think they're they're trying to be set up as like a playful couple, but uh, yeah, that thumb war in church was just annoyingly yeah. cute. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agreed. Well, uh, what do you think of the doll design? Uh, pretty creepy. 
Sure. Yeah, I think it's a creepy looking doll. Yeah, it is. So that night, we see the neighbors get attacked in their home, and John goes over to investigate. He finds them dead and tells Mia to call the cops. Mia calls the cops, but is then attacked in her home by a man and a woman. John comes back, starts fighting with the attackers, and finally the cops come and shoot the male intruder. Meanwhile, the woman intruder locks herself in a room with the doll and takes her life, and we see her blood drip into the doll's eyes. Later, we learn that this woman who uh, took her life and uh, attacked them was the daughter of the neighbors, and her name was Annabelle. Uh, I thought this was a great home invasion sequence. What did you think? Yeah, that was probably the most exciting moment of the movie, and it's a really cool shot, too, from uh, Ward and what are their boring-ass names? John and Mia. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really cool shot from their bedroom out their window into the neighbor's window, and you just see the neighbors like acting like maybe there's some sort of noise in the home they heard. Husband gets out of bed, then you see blood splatter on the wall, and the the woman screams. It's really cool. That's this yeah. is maybe the high point of the movie for me. Yeah, same, same. I mean, we're probably like 20 minutes in. Uh, expectations have been pretty low, and, and the acting was pretty bad. This was like a, a nice surprise, like how they shot that kill uh, from like a distance. Um, but the, and, and then like uh, yeah, even when things kind of kick into gear, like how the camera kind of follows Mia like out her door, uh, talking to John, then like back into her house while she makes the call, and we see like uh, bodies in the background moving around. Uh, I thought this was like really creative uh, home invasion depiction. Agreed. There's always you can always count on cool cinematography in these movies. Yeah. Cool cinematography, things uh, you're drawn to in the background where you think uh, dangers are going to come from, uh, threats that are being set up, devices that are being used to build suspense. Uh, I feel like it did that really well. Was there any frustration on your end for like some of the character actions here, like him just like abandoning Mia and like going to the house without like calling the cops, and then him telling Mia to go back into the house by herself and call the cops? Yeah, all frustrating decisions. I mean, for him to even go over there instead of just calling over there and then, yeah, to leave her alone in their house when the front door has been wide open. Uh, yeah, he he's an idiot. Yep, I agree. Yeah, that was, that was, some of that was like kind of hard to watch, like the, this guy. Yeah, <laughs> this Tom Brady looking motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, get your shit together, man. Uh, so uh, that th- that was a, a fun, good uh, first kill. Following this traumatic event, some spooky things start happening with the doll. Uh, so a few nights later, a sewing machine runs on its own. They hear a chair rocking from time to time. One day, John is out of town, and the burners on the stove all turn on, and they blow up some popcorn which causes the kitchen to explode. And as Mia tries to escape, an unseen force tries to drag her back towards the kitchen. But fortunately, she gets rescued by the neighbors, taken to the hospital where she delivers her baby. But she's pretty creeped out now uh, about home and thinks there's some evil presence lurking there. Um, what do you think on like some of these first kind of uh, ominous things happening around them and like the, the sense of like creepiness building? It was all pretty like cut and dry paint by numbers nothing's really wowing me here or especially scary i don't even think it's meant to be all that scary mm-hmm. um yeah i i have very little to say about it I, it's almost like this movie was made in the 60s as well 
it's so something about it is just so squeaky clean it, like she gets dragged into the fire ends up at the hospital and he baby. shows up and they're like tapping him on the shoulder like look who's here and the baby's been born and that's you know, how babies are born you ever, right you ever, they just <laughs> magically appear yeah. and everyone's super healthy and feeling great and smiley afterwards yeah it's just like weird these the whole conjuring universe has this weird overly simplistic sense of how things go and it, like an overly simplified lack of nuanced sense of morality or mm-hmm. character motivations it's just something about it gives me the heebie-jeebies in a weird way oh heebie yeah yeah it's it's a little unsettling i i agree i, I was associated this well i've come to associate this uh vibe with uh, james one like uh, i feel like this was there in malignant too and some of it insidious but yeah it does seem like a very outdated type of dialogue and like male female uh like gender dynamics uh going on here and uh yeah it's it's almost like too picture perfect it, it always reminds me of like a lifetime like uh like a christmas movie you'd see on like the lifetime channel What's that yeah called? the lifetime channel um it's just called lifetime oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Um, it is a channel, but no one says the Lifetime channel. <laughs> okay. That you see on Lifetime, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even know how how into it I want to get with this stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'll come back to it. But uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, just to the, like... Uh, all right, I guess I'll get into it. She's, she, I think after she gets stabbed or when she's in the hospital or something, she's like, promise me you'll save the baby over me, mm. which we keep seeing that a lot. In horror movies, it yeah. feels like. The Exorcist Believer, I think, right? They brought that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And then the the detective tells them, like, hey, you know, cults aren't quite as prevalent as the news would have you believe. And they're like, you'll have a hard time convincing us of that. Like, <laughs> It's almost like there's this weird, subtle conservatism in there. It's like your grandma's and grandpa's, like... If your religious grandma and grandpa want to get into horror, like, this is the place to yeah. start them this this universe well that that's who these people are right like if, if we're talking about them today these are uh yeah the, these people who are like young adults in the late 60s early 70s uh that is the grandpa grandma right yeah that's that's true yeah that, now we kind of understand where they come from yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah I, I, I totally agree there's uh some, some really weird uh, dialogue pieces going on here uh oh but i think the thing that uh, yeah i i don't know how you feel about this but like uh they've set up like so many scare devices like the sewing machine like zooming in on that like multiple times and then yeah finally there's a stab there or the popcorn on the stove like setting that up uh, so we know it's a scare. Uh, the door that he leaves open, we kind of know like shit, something's gonna come that way. Uh, do you think like these are effective ways to like cause tension and build suspense? I think that they are. Yeah, and the Conjuring universe milks them like crazy, but yeah, this one just seems to do so a little bit more boringly than the other ones. But did I might be on the only one on that that track? You know, I, I I thought it was working for me. It got annoying at some point, but uh, it did like keep me on edge. Like shit, at some point that sewing machine. She doesn't. She she maybe needs to learn how to uh, keep her fingers away from the sewing needles or something. Or uh, yeah, maybe he should be locking the door or something. But yeah, it, it did kind of like it, it parks itself in the back of your mind as you're watching this, and you become tense, not realizing that like you're, you're starting to get scared of certain things. Sure. 
And nothing ever happens with that sewing machine other than she cuts her finger a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty anticlimactic. Uh, so, but, but I, I kind of feel like that's their strategy. It's to kind of get you like disoriented and like your mind in all these places so that you kind of forget where the scare is going to come from or you have no idea where it's going to come from. Right. So, feeling like they need a change after all of this, Mia, John, and the baby move to Pasadena where he does his doctor stuff. Things are going okay at first. But then weird things start happening when they find the doll that Annabelle was holding in a box, even though they thought they had thrown it away before they moved. Mia starts seeing the ghost of Annabelle, uh, and Annabelle being the woman who uh, attacked them. Uh, Walking around the apartment, she sees uh, visions of a little girl here and there. The sewing machine goes on and off again. Music sometimes turns on by itself. Uh, doors open and close. There's uh, some kind of figure, or there's some kind of force that like pushes on the ground at some point. Then she finds some kids' drawings that she thinks are made uh, by the kids who live upstairs that show her walking down the street. And then the next one shows her walking down the street with the stroller. Then the next one is like her in the stroller, and now there's a truck coming. And then the third one is like the truck hitting the crib and like the, the baby being uh, crushed. Uh, what do you think? I, I felt like this was very Rosemary's Baby, but uh, what, what, what did you think? There is no character in this movie who is of age to be drawing with crayons, yet we still get children's drawings in this movie like that. To go out of your way to add that is just a painful <laughs> cliche. Like the, yeah. These kids are only in the movie long enough to let them let us know that they are capable of drawing pictures with crayons and then <laughs> they're off on their own way so that we can see their drawings they made. Interesting. You felt they were pretty forced in? Yeah. I mean, what else did they do in the movie aside from draw these pictures? I mean, yeah. After the movie, looking back, yeah, they were they, these kids were in one scene. But actually, I think they live in your head throughout the film because uh, she's constantly thinking about like the upstairs neighbors who are like, making a bunch of noise. They're new in this building, and uh, I think these two kids being there, like you kind of always assume they're going to come back. So yeah, yeah, I think at the end of the day, they, this was the only reason they were in there. But as you're watching the film, I, I think you keep thinking they're going to come back, right? No, I, I didn't see any reason that they would be coming back. Really? You didn't think they were the ones running around upstairs on, on those noises that they were hearing? No, I mean, there's like two scenes with noises upstairs, and it's never really, we never really learn what that is, right? We don't, yeah, yeah. That, that's a big miss in the movie. But seeing these two kids, I thought, oh, she's learning about the neighbors. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it made sense to like run into them on the stairs. They're kind of like suspicious, don't want to talk to her. And I, I thought it was a setup that like there's something going on with the neighbors upstairs potentially. But yeah, they, they totally abandoned and, and dropped that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're basically you're saying I'm right. You're, you're right in, in looking past the film, like post-film, but I think in this moment, like watching this scene for the first time, I, I could see the kids like seeing like a natural, or seeming like a natural addition to the story. Sure, you're like, something's up with these kids, they have some sort of second sight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I assumed, <laughs> I, I, I obviously assumed that it's Annabelle who drew those photos, right? Because I think uh, in the opening, they mentioned that like they would come back home sometimes and find drawings. But I, I did think like these kids were real characters in the building and it's them kind of like getting to know their new surroundings and the people around them. So I, I thought it made sense. Uh, but I, I hear a point like, and, and your, your point's true at the end of the film where like, yeah, we never hear from these kids again. There, you know, I will now follow that up with a compliment of the movie. As you said, she sees a little girl sometimes in her apartment. 
the best scare of the movie to me was when she sees this little girl who runs at her, but the door of the room she's in is closing right at the same time that this girl's running at her. So the girl's briefly obscured from view behind the door, and the next like half second we see her again, and she has turned into a full-grown woman sprinting at Mia. And that's a really cool scare and just a, a cool idea. Yeah, I love that one. That was, that was a good, good one. Good jump yeah. too, uh, and well, well uh, executed. Uh, did you get a sense here? Because I, I think she's getting creeped out, and she's trying to get her husband to understand like what she's been seeing, and he's a little bit dismissive as a medical professional. But uh, did you get a vibe of like Rosemary's Baby or some kind of like you know uh, mother who just gave birth, kind of postpartum paranoia kicking in? I wouldn't flatter this movie with that kind of comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, like, I feel like the Mia's, like, named after the actress from Rosemary's Baby, right? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think that it's just because it's a Conjuring Universe film, you know that there's not going to be some sort of psychological horror underneath. These movies never take any chance to throw a curveball like that. It's That's true. 100% of Possessed Dolls. So. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a stronger film might have played that uh, angle more. But yeah, here, you're right. You can basically rule that off because these movies aren't are pretty shallow. Uh, okay, um, so then things get pretty messed up. I Actually, I think there's a lot of like Rosemary's Baby, uh, Rosemary's Baby's uh, influence spilling into here. Because, um, yeah, every, anytime you see her with the, the stroller and like they're in a new building... And, like, I even feel like her acting, like, she's trying to, like, uh, bring in that vibe of, like, a a new mother or, like, someone who's, like, in a a new place and, like, kind of freaking out uh, because of uh, what she's seeing and a husband that doesn't believe her. So, I I don't know. I I hear you, like, yeah, it's the Conjuring Universe, but I I feel like they are trying really hard to bring that element into this. Every once in a while, we have an episode where I'm just, like, a brick wall to any of your ideas. (laughs) Those are the best episodes. This is, this is one of those episodes. <laughs> but you got to admit they were trying to do that, right? Even though it's unsuccessful? I don't really see that strong of a tie to Rosemary's baby other than a woman who just had a baby is going through something. Mm-hmm. So much of Rosemary's baby happens before the baby comes. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I situationally it's there, like, but I, I don't see any... Maybe there's some hidden homages and stuff that I missed, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think the name... I think uh, a woman in her apartment, husband at work, uh, seeing crazy... Like, yeah, seeing, like, really uh, wild things, uh, feeling like she's losing it. Uh, like, all, all these things, to me, like, feel like uh, an homage to to uh, Rosemary's Baby. Sure. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so things get pretty messed up one night, though, when she's loading up the storage space in the basement and suddenly a, uh, a, oh man, a stroller appears and uh, behind it is a demon who like leaves a mark on her arm. She tries to escape in the elevator and keeps hitting the button for it to go up and the doors close but then they open and she's still on the same floor. Finally, she runs up the stairs with the demon in pursuit. Uh, so pretty wild night. The next day, she sees the demon in her apartment holding the doll and realizes that the doll is possessed and the demon wants her soul. Uh, what do you think of this basement scene? I felt like it could have been a little bit more powerful. Like there's all that suspense with the door opening over and over again. And you think 
something big is going to happen. There's this dark, intimidating space out there. But instead, she just sprints through that space and nothing mm-hmm. happens till she gets to the steps. It just felt, uh, not that it was bad, but I just, I thought there was going to be a little bit more to it than that. Mm, yeah. I think, I think they, yeah, held back a little bit there. Yeah. What uh, did you think? I, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, I thought the way the door opened, closed, and then would open again and then close again, and you're just like, shit, this time it's going to be crazy. This time it's going to be crazy. It just like keeps getting you. And, uh, and that one time it even feels like the, or it seems like the elevator is finally moving, then it opens and it's like still there. Uh, so I thought this was like really well executed. I think when she gets to the stairs and running up, uh, the editing there is kind of weird with like the lighting, uh, like white lights kind of like flashing here and there. Um, but I think the demon looks really cool and, uh, is a pretty scary like visual and like the, how they have it like in the background, just kind of like, so uh, really subtly like popping up. Uh, I think Bashara looks scary as usual. Um, yeah, you, sure. We, I think the demon looks good. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, so I, I think the scene was directed by James Wan. Uh, did you read that? Oh, really? This specific scene? The elevator scene? Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Wonder why did he come in just to do that one? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I thought it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, you thought it was a little anticlimactic? Yeah, I did. Because I mean, just like what you said, like, oh, this is going to be the craziest. This is going to be the craziest. Yeah. <laughs> It isn't really that crazy. Like it, <laughs> it never really comes. <laughs> yeah, but you thinking it's going to come? Isn't that like even scarier than it actually coming? In a way, yes. But I feel like you got to do something there after the <laughs> whole three. We yeah. we just talked about that rule of threes, right? And it's the third time the elevator opens where she actually something does happen. But what happens is her she just running through the running, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not too showy. It's it's pretty. Uh, yeah, I mean, normally the Conjuring universe is good for that kind of thing, and then they'll have like a really captivating use of framing or angles, and a, the scare will come, but it won't come where you think it's going to come from. Yeah, and that felt just kind of a dud. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could see that. So John and Mia then call this priest over, who agrees to take the doll to the church to help weaken its power. Uh, he drives to the church. But when he gets there, a strong force flings him away from the door, and he's injured pretty badly and taken to the hospital. The next day, this bookstore owner named Evelyn, who lives nearby and was recently forced into the story, comes over to the apartment and tells me about how she lost her daughter when she was young in an accident. While they're hanging out, the demon shows up again, and this time locks Mia in the apartment where she can hear her baby crying, but she can't find the baby. After yelling into the void, what do you want from me? Mia sees the words, her soil, or sorry, she sees the words. so <laughs> She just soiled this. <laughs> I think they deleted the scene where she soiled herself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So on the ceiling, it says her soul, which uh, has been <laughs> I can't say the that. The demon's word. just writing, soil yourself. <laughs> yeah. He's just a real fucking it, freak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the words are her soul. It's written on the ceiling in crayon. And Mia realizes that she needs to give herself up. Uh, or like, yeah, take her own life in order to save the baby. So she goes to the window with the doll. But before she can jump out, John comes back and steps. Uh, it stops her before she can jump out the window. And in a surprise move, Evelyn, the bookstore owner who's recently put into the story, 
decides that she's going to offer herself as a sacrifice and jumps out the window, killing herself, which reunites uh, me and John with their baby. How, yeah, what did you think of, like, it was, it was this, this was, like, our, our climactic uh, ending here, but what did you think? Like, did this work for you? No, it feels really cheap. And, like, I don't know, a little gross, too. Like, we've got this, like, 1960s uber-white couple living the American dream, and we're worried that that American dream is going to be stopped short by a demon who either takes the soul of the baby or takes the soul of the mom and not to worry, it's only going to take the soul <laughs> of a nice black lady who just came into the movie so that she could die instead. <laughs> exactly. And it's that, just like, oh, that's weird. Um, it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and she talks about, you know, she killed herself because she didn't kill herself. Well, she offers herself up. But in the scene where Mia notices a scar on her wrist, she's like, my daughter died in an accident. I felt guilt. I I was depressed. I tried to take my own life. I saw my daughter Ruby in that moment and she said, no, it's not your time. Mm -hmm. And so then before Evelyn gives her soul of this demon by like falling off the window ledge, she says, this is what Ruby meant. Like, this is what my daughter meant. Yeah. And then it's just like, so her daughter was like, hey, stick around. You've got to live an eternal torment of like your soul being in hell in the power of a demon so this nice white couple can yeah. go about their lives. Like, <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. I That's, mean, wow. Yeah. Really messed up. Uh, I, I think the whole way they introduced Evelyn is like so utilitarian. Like uh, she comes in like in like the last like quarter of this movie is like, oh, I'm in the neighborhood here. Here's like some uh, a book for your kid or like now I'm going to uh, be your friend. And then like, yeah, basically just to ki- take your own life uh, to save these guys. It just felt like she was so like under uh, baked and uh, yeah, just forced in there just to give these guys a happy ending. It's so messed up, isn't it? It's pretty messed up. And just like so, I mean, not only is it like the racial dynamics are a little, you know, weird but then just from a writing perspective it's kind of like a deus ex machina type thing where it's like don't worry you don't have to do anything to actually confront this demon or learn the lore or take the appropriate steps or face (laughs) a flaw within yourself to overcome your own inner flaws to yeah all you have to do is just be passengers while this side character comes in, takes the fall for you, and yeah. then the movie's over. Yeah, and she also fills that role of like explaining, like I think she plays a big role in like explaining it's like a demon and like what it wants too, right? Right, like a soul needs to be offered for a demon to take it. I think that I can't remember if the priest told him that or if she did, but I think she was the first one to tell him like the demon wants a soul. Yeah, and like it's a demon, it's not a ghost because it's like followed you here and stuff. Uh, right. too so it's like yeah i feel like they put a lot in that one character just like kind of fill the holes in the movie and then yeah it gives them the clean ending and it, it yeah it's it's, it's a pretty cheap move on their part uh what do you think of the scares though like the demon like suddenly showing up on the ceiling or uh f- the father outside the peephole with uh kind of like possessed looking i uh didn't really care for the scares i think sometimes when the rest of the movie isn't working for me. Like the scares aren't either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see a lot of people argue that the scares in the conjuring universe are all cheap in a way they are. 
Like, they're they're cheap throw rides. But I thought the scares in this one just weren't as effective. They weren't quite as well orchestrated, thought out, planned out, or framed. Like, nothing was com- as compelling about the scares in this film as pretty much any other Conjuring film I've seen, aside from Curse of La Llorona. Uh, and the third one? You, you think that one had better scares than this one? Um, Boy, I can't really... Like, The Conjuring 3? Yeah. I can't recall the scares of that one very well. Yeah. Um, that one, I, I feel like, is a bit of an outlier in that it was structured more like the thriller instead of the scare-based haunted right. house structure. Yeah, yeah, different format. Yeah, I think I would agree. I'm like, yeah, definitely Conjuring 1 and 2, I think, have like some of the best like jump scares. Uh, the Nun like has like a few... Uh, but I, I wasn't too unimpressed by like what we were seeing here. I, I thought the demon was like a nice throwback to Insidious as well, where uh, you're seeing a cool like demonic creature in like in random places or in the dark. Uh, so I, I don't know. And then as you mentioned, like that girl like running at her in that room was was a lot of fun. Or, that like, was cool. The background. Yeah, it's isn't it's, it cheap that the the movie made us think like there's this threat of a car hitting the stroller because uh-huh. of this drawing. And then we see a scene where the stroller rolls into the street and a car hits it. Yeah. But the baby is in her arms the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so she's not really scared. She knows she has the baby. Right. We as viewers are kind of tricked. Yeah. And it's just like this whole elaborate cheap thing where they shoehorn these kids in the movie to give us this drawing, <laughs> which is such a cliche in itself, kids drawing in a supernatural movie, for something that doesn't even happen. It's just the empty stroller gets hit yeah yeah like what why did we do that i know and then there's a couple other times where this movie is just like hey here's what it would look like if this movie actually took risks or had balls the demon makes her think she's slamming the annabelle doll against the side of the crib and there's a moment where the demon makes her think that that was actually just her baby that she slammed against the side of the crib right which would be like totally fucked up yeah but it's not. It wasn't her baby. <laughs> it's just yeah. there's a few things like that where it's like, oh, whoa. Oh, no, never mind. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, just being kidding. pretty mild. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It stays uh, in, in like a PG, PG-13 space of like not uh, getting too serious. Uh, what, do you do you hold that those kids were ghosts then? Is that is that what you, you think? No, I think those kids were real. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they just uh, didn't make sense for, for them. It just didn't the make film. sense. Yeah. yeah. And then the, maybe they did that so it wouldn't be so weird when, like, the climax had crayons in it, too. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Where would post-2000s <laughs> horror be without crayons? Like, there's yeah. a good chunk of supernatural horror films that just wouldn't make sense anymore if you took <laughs> the crayons out of them. Yeah. Also, why did she have crayons in the house? That's what I got to wondering, but I, do you have crayons in your house? No. Oh, yeah, I do, actually. Then yeah. I, see, I see, I started thinking, I was like, well, me and Kelly did have crayons before the kids Yeah, came. yeah, that's true, art projects and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I wasn't captivated by any of this. And these performances, mm. I don't think it was necessarily the actor's fault. I think they were directed to just be as boring and wooden as possible <laughs> like yeah there is nothing interesting about these performances i mean alfrey woodard 
is the closest to giving a good performance. She there's nothing bad about her performance. It's just that her character is such a cliche in itself. Right. Yeah. She doesn't um, have a lot of room to flex there. Yeah. Yeah. But Mia and John are just such poorly fleshed out characters. We don't know anything about them other than surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what they're wrestling with on any level. I don't know. I think there's some tension, right? Like that's set up that he's uh, going to residency. He's worried about being a new father. So you do have like this couple who's like going through this big life change, and uh, that I don't know. That that kind of like opens the way. And even like they're obviously very religious, right? Because like they their first date like after pregnancy is like let's go to church together, and like we meet them at a church. And they yeah, go but to they're thumb warring in church. That's true. That's very disrespectful. I'm pretty sure that's one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> thou shall not the more <laughs> yeah uh so i i, I feel like we're given a little bit about like who they are but they they also just kind of suck as people uh and it's it's hard to like be very interested in in them which is unfortunate uh yeah. and uh yeah I, I don't i don't think annabelle wallace is a great actress in this did, did you think so it's hard to know if she's not giving a good performance or if she is directed to be pretty vanilla like which mm-hmm. sounds weird that a director would give that note but <laughs> there's some stuff in this movie that's just like i think the goal here was to be like 1960s boring suburban like anyway, suburban yeah. people yeah right yeah they nailed that vibe for sure oh god they crushed that <laughs> yeah just utterly empty performance from ward horton like oh yeah oh. So bad. I, I'm willing to say that's a bad performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bad performance for sure. Uh, Annabelle Wallace, I feel like she kept doing this thing where like something scary would happen and she just kind of like look off to the right for some reason. Like with like this like look of like, oh my God. And just like look up. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they are playing to these like archetypes of like what a 60s, 70s person is supposed to be. But uh, hard to like, yeah, to say it was like great acting here. Um <laughs> Gares, uh, you weren't uh, over thrilled with it. Sounds like. Um, what about the overall story? Like, uh, yeah, to, for me going into this, it was, it was a big surprise. I always thought Annabelle uh, was like a Chucky, like a possessed doll that's like going to be running around killing people and doing shit. But it becomes like this big thing. There's like actually a demon. Uh, Annabelle's like the name of the girl or, or this woman. Like, a, did, did you feel like it was clear or like pretty convoluted? It gets a little convoluted, especially when you take into account the prequel story it it adds some depth but it also kind of makes things more convoluted you mean um, the conjuring bringing that in no i mean annabelle creation oh oh okay okay yeah because this is the prequel to the conjuring yeah but yeah so she dies then she possesses the doll but there's also like a demon possessing the doll um and that gets more explained in in Annabelle creation, but it is a little bit convoluted. I think the biggest crime of the movie is like you have this couple whose daughter ran away, joined a cult, and came back home to murder them. But that's like the first five minutes, and then after that, it's just like, oh, here's another couple, and supernatural things are happening in their house. Mm-hmm. Like you had this really awesome premise, but that's a five minute short film at the beginning. And now your entire movie is based on a pretty underwhelming presence hmm. premise. So you think that first five minutes should have been like the, the bigger story, like the, taking up more time? It would have been cool if they had found a way to make that 
a bigger part of the story. Yeah. And you know, there Mar- Charles Manson was on the news. Like, right. They, I don't know. I mean, it's a Conjuring movie. It's yeah. It's not going to do that. But right. that was the most interesting thing that the movie had to offer in terms of storytelling. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no real story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I agree. That that beginning uh, was really strong, and it, like it was all home invasion vibe, and that could be a movie on its own, and, and that could be really cool. I, I I don't know. I kind of appreciate like how the movie had that element. Because uh, it's not what you're expecting going into a Conjuring film. Uh, you're expecting just supernatural stuff. Uh, right. It was cool to have like a little bit of that like framing or like kicking off this whole movie. But it also, yeah, it feels a little bit disjointed. Uh, but I hear you. That would have been a really cool story to, to have in there. Or, like have more on that. Yeah. I feel like some of the Conjuring movies suffer from the fact that they just are willing to t- unwilling to take rather like any real creative risk or mm-hmm. provide any like true shock. And the beginning of this comes comes close to that. Like, yeah, that's like something new. I mean, yeah. and The Conjuring Two has a little bit of that too, where it opens with Lorraine like reenacting the Amityville murders. Oh, right. Like every yep. once in a while, they they're not afraid to go for the jugular, but then they'll kind of ease off and go bland mm-hmm. on some of their other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what my point is. I guess I just wish the movie had. A little bit more of the balls and creativity of that opening yeah. throughout the rest of its story. Yeah, right. Balls and creativity. I, I think that might be what's missing in this yeah, right. film overall. But creative balls. Yeah. Creative Maybe balls. make one of them an octagon. Do weird colors. <laughs> you got crayons? Yeah, use your crayons for good. I don't know. I think the Conjuring Universe overall, to me, doesn't feel like, uh, in James Wan's work, uh, well, I guess Saw has some creativity in balls. So it looks like the earlier ones. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. The Conjuring universe to me just kind of feels more like soft on, uh, how like dark or how like gruesome it's going to go. And like, yeah, daughter murdering her, uh, parents. Like that's, that's like, uh, oh, what's that movie? Um, what was that movie that, uh, Wes Craven did back in the day? Um, where the, it's a home invasion No, the home invasion one from like the seventies. Oh, last house on the left. Yeah. Yeah. That's that gives me that vibes. I, I don't see like James Wan and like the country universe going there, unfortunately. Um, sure. And and yeah, the, the the happy ending. I feel like all the Conjuring movies usually do have a happy ending where like yeah, no one of importance is like killed. <laughs> general, right. That's what makes the happy ending so much more weird. It's just like oh, everyone's happily ever after, except for that one woman who gave her life to eternally rot in hell. Exactly. But it's okay. She had lost her daughter years before. Yeah, right. She had no family. Yeah. Oh, gosh. She found a purpose. Yeah. Uh, Did you think uh, there was... I try to look for, like, themes and, like, meetings in this film. Uh, I think a big one... (laughs) Brian's just shaking his head. Like, yeah, it's 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 a useless exercise in the Conjuring universe. But there is like a strong theme of motherhood. Like, the beginning is like a conversation between two, like a, a mother who's like lost her daughter, and then uh, someone who's about to have a, uh, a daughter. It's uh, a lot about a mother trying to save her daughter from evil forces, and then even the person Evelyn, who gives her life up, has lost a daughter. So. Uh, one, like, why is, why is, uh, like, even in cities, I, I feel like this is focus on young mothers, uh, with James Wan and, like, some of these universes, uh, films in the universe. And then, two, yeah, do, do you feel like that plays, like, is that a strength here? Like, are we, is, is that, a, like, a, a theme that, like, builds anything to the story? 
Yeah, I mean, not really. You could try to take it some places, I guess. I don't know if you'd get anywhere. And the priest does lay on a few quotes of like, mother, mother is the closest yeah. thing to God, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, I think I'm accidentally quoting the crow there, but he, you know, he says <laughs> stuff to that effect. He does. And you have a mother who couldn't save her own daughter. Like, you know, maybe that's part of the her character arc, too, is like, I made a mistake once that caused my own daughter's death. She was driving while fatigued and got in a crash that killed her daughter. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is my way of making it right for myself. Like, I can save somebody else's family. And sure, I guess, but... It just takes the agency out of our main character's hands. So if there is a theme about motherhood, it's so scattered yeah. that it just feels a little um, watered down. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. It, it doesn't really land. Uh, what about in like the um, marital structure of uh, uh, b- between the husband and wife here? So I think like you called out how she is like pretty clear after like the first attack she's like if anything happens to the baby you got to pick the baby over me and that comes up again at the end where she's like saying uh we always talked about this it's got to be me and the baby and uh over the baby and uh the husband's like no it's got to be you uh you don't think there's some commentary in here about like certain uh decisions that are like yeah yeah you know like the the right of choice or whatever yeah, I hate to keep coming back to abortion, and I know people don't really want to hear politics in their entertainment podcast, but so many of the movies we watch does seem like almost unavoidable to discuss themes about stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I think in a way that there could be themes like that. You know, she she does say multiple times, like, me over the, the baby. Um, oh, like, the baby over me, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said that wrong. Yeah, Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it has anything bigger to say than that. Like, motherhood is the most important thing, and your duty is 100% to your baby. Um, One thing the priest says to them about, like, what they've gone through with this whole traumatic murder next door and being stabbed in the uterus, he's like, you don't come out of this weaker, you come out stronger. And I almost feel like rather than push, pushing any like political or religious agenda, these movies are just like overly simplistic. Like they, like I said earlier, they just recognize no nuance, especially it's noticeable now in an era where so many of the movies that people are making are kind of examining trauma and we all speak like therapists now and we understand that anyone who goes through something tough it's going to have this PTSD. And then for this movie, granted it was made a decade ago, to just be like, you come out of this stronger, simple as that. It's just, it is a 1960s mentality in my mind of just like, they're there, sweep it all under the rug, you're going to be fine. And I don't know if that's deliberate or not, or, or a function of the time period of the movies. It, it it makes for an utterly dull experience because it allows no nuance to character feelings or character journeys. Like, nothing is complicated. Mm-hmm. Nothing's messy. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Cause I feel like as the viewer, you're watching it and you're putting yourself in Mia's shoes. And today, like, yeah, maybe we're a little bit more uh, sensitive to these things. And 
she i feel like is being dismissed uh to your point by like people saying things like that like uh i think the husband at one point is like saying to her um you know all that crazy stuff happened it was scary but we moved so you got to leave it all back there and she's yeah. like well it's not that easy and then yeah the priest like being like oh you come out it makes it stronger so yeah you have these like male uh figures saying very like kind of dismissive things like just move on from it but then as the audience you're vested in Mia as the main character and I think that almost makes you feel isolated with her and that like she's kind of being shut down by these audiences so it's, it's hard to t- I, I think the film is then taking on a nuanced perspective where like hey this is what it feels like to be someone who is still like struggling with this trauma but like not being heard by like the people that she's trying to seek help from I uh, yeah I totally see your point there I just feel like it's a little generous <laughs> to, uh, of a reading for the movie because we don't really see her go through that journey of like, oh, I'm feeling alienated and uh, not being heard out because I'm a woman. Mm. It just feels like she's just as much of a participant in in that mentality as anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I I hear what you're saying. I just feel like the movie isn't that interested in that angle. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it being in the Conjuring universe, I, I tend to agree with you here. I think, I think I'm trying to give it some credit, but it does feel like a stretch. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be interested to hear from listeners. Like, do they feel that, that that is part of what the movie is doing and that this is a Rosemary's Baby type journey? Or is that a generous reading of an otherwise shallow movie? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the things she says here and there, which... Uh, tried him that like she, at one point she's like you get to go out and like adult have adult conversations i'm here by myself um we see her like you know at home on like a date night and he's like just out uh she isn't like too receptive to the priest in the beginning uh so i don't know i feel like there's some skepticism on her part of like these people like believing her or taking her side but yeah it could just be coincidental too yeah that's true the, i mean those scenes may have been meant to do that they maybe just didn't sink into me or the message didn't come through because i wasn't jiving with other aspects of the movie had that brick wall up i think (laughs) i mean honestly maybe that brick wall was already up and I, i wasn't letting things in yeah okay so you didn't uh yeah i take it you didn't like this movie even the first time you saw it i don't think i did because dude i forgot like everything but the end i i was like did I see this movie? Because what I remember is nothing like, and basically all I remember was that last scene. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an uh, utterly forgettable movie, in my opinion. Uh, it is, it is. Though, I, yeah, it, 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 I gotta admit, like, it, it did scare me. Uh, I thought, like, some of the, the scares were well done, and uh, I, yeah, I, I went to bed, like, my wife's out of the country right now, and uh, I was a little scared last night going to sleep, but... We made it through the night okay, had had the dog close by. Uh, well, what do you think? You want to jump to the rating? You come out of this stronger, Ash. Yeah, that, that's what it gets on myself. <laughs> I'm not in the living room anymore. I'm in the bedroom. I leave it all behind. <laughs> yeah. All right, you want to jump to the rating or anything else? Yeah, I think we can jump to the rating. Oh, uh, sorry, one more thing. The score. Uh, what do you think of Bashara? I like it. I like the score. It had some notes or chord progressions that were reminiscent of Requiem for a Dream for oh, me. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's kind of like giving me some memories of that, but I think it's a good score. I thought it was pretty effective. That was, I, I'm shitting on the movie, but the score was good. The camera work was good as usual. There were quite a few shots where I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so some things like that, the production design, 
mm-hmm. you can count on the Conjuring universe to meet certain standards standards of quality with certain elements in the movie, and they no exception here. Yeah, yeah, they delivered on those. Yeah, I, I had that too. Camera work, uh, good jump scares here and there. Score really well done. And uh, the, I thought the suspense, like some of those things they used to draw your attention to certain things was pretty well done. Uh, well, okay. Uh, so how many uh, women that you don't know very well jumping out of windows would you give this one? I give it two out of five women I don't know very well jumping out of windows. Though the movie has the solid production design, cinematography, and score that one can typically expect from The Conjuring Universe, the story and its characters are dull, lifeless, and generic. And I originally wrote down two and a half, but I'm so <laughs> angry that I think I need to go back. I need to go down to a two. Good. I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking periodically throughout the day that I'm two and a half was maybe generous for how I really feel. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, that's interesting. I was I was gonna be tuning a two and a half to three, but ultimately landed on two and a half uh, women I don't know very well jumping out of windows. And uh, yeah, I think it operates, this movie is very much like a haunted house where you have like some fun and cheap jump scares and interesting sequences, but ultimately I think it fails to tie together any kind of meaningful plot or story. And yeah, its characters are pretty dull and poorly acted. So yeah, it feels like a very bad movie on one hand, but then I think you're right. You go in with the next expectation of a conjuring film and it delivers on some of those uh and, and uh, it's it's decently packaged this is another one i'm really interested to hear what viewers think of this one like do they find it forgettable as well or are they they a bit more up on it and finding more in it than than i did and are they more on board with your defenses of it yeah um It'd be interesting to know. I, if nothing else here buddy we've put in the work to cover the sequels i wouldn't mind doing an annabelle creation in sequel September, uh, that, oh, that have... movie that movie is worth a, a discussion. Okay, cool. Yeah, I get the impression parts two and three have like better reviews. They're better reviewed. That that's true, both by at least Rotten Tomatoes critic score and user scores. So this movie had twenty eight percent critics, thirty five percent users. Annabelle Creation has seventy percent critics, sixty eight percent from users, and then Annabelle Comes Home. 64% from user from critics rather 70%. So 60s and 70s for those other two. Nice. And this is down in the 20s and 30s. Cool. Yeah, good for them P- picking up uh yeah, maybe they took the feedback. Yeah, right. And uh, made it better. Well, great. Uh any other comments or any other notes you want to mention? That's all I got. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Annabelle. If you enjoyed the episode, Please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's, it's called X now, right? Yeah, but so, so few people are actually acknowledging that it's called X. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So cool. It's still okay to say Twitter. Uh, we're also on Discord. You can find us and other fans of the genre on our server. The link to that is on the website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com and find some cool merchandise for our show. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month and get access to some bonus content. The link to do that is on our website. Until next time, if some evil force is threatening you and your family, find someone who doesn't have a family and have uh, them be your stand-in for if you need to make some kind of sacrifice to save yourself. Mm
nobody will care. It's still a happy ending. Exactly. <laughs> Works out for everyone in the end. Who was that person anyway? <laughs> the Dada family out there. Just hanging out.